Good morning, church. Are you awake? All right. Good, good. I'm glad. Um, we are in a worship series, and I'm excited. The last two Sundays have been amazing. They have. Um, and then, am I going to mess anything up if I just, I'm just nervous. Uh, today is part three, and uh, I'm excited for today's sermon. Almost as excited as I am for Hallmark season. Anyone love Hallmark? Come on. Come on. Listen. I love watching Hallmark with my wife. I never know what's going to happen. I never know if they're going to fall in love or not. I never know if she's going to get the job. I never know if she's going to leave the city and stay in the country and raise the family farm. Oh, one good thing about Hallmark, they never throw any punches. They never hit you with anything that you didn't see coming. Hallmark is predictable. The title of my sermon today is Hallmark and Heart Songs. Hallmark and Heart Songs. Today's sermon is kind of half uh, half brainy or heady, half heady, and half practical. Okay, it's like practical, half head, half practical. So even if we talk about some words or Hebrew, it's going to be okay because I'm going to let you walk out of here today with some very practical, tangible ways to worship our God. Is that all right with you? This morning, Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much. I thank you for my wife and my kids and even my dogs. I thank you for this church and Hallmark. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that it's election week, and no matter what happens, you're still going to be God. God, I thank you that the church survives every storm that the enemy has ever brought it through. And God, I just thank you that in this moment, you're going to help us to worship you, to praise you, to, to grasp the fullness of who you are in this moment. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, amen, amen. Well, now that we know that Hallmark is a church favorite, um, I have to go back and talk about a few things that I've talked about over the last two weeks now. If you didn't catch the sermon over the last two weeks, no worries, you can get it online. You can get it on YouTube or Facebook if you scroll through a lot of posts. Um, you can get it on our website, theexchangechurch.org, and soon you'll be able to get it on Church Center app. For those of you that already have Church Center app and you're part of Team Exchange, you know this is being rolled out. You know it's coming, but the church doesn't know yet, but we're getting a church app, and you'll be able to watch all the sermons on there. And over the last two weeks, I've convinced you what? That you are a priest. priest. 
for all of our first-time guests or people that go to church, not these past two weeks, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am not a priest. I don't even know how to be priestly. Well, you were called to be a priest because God is establishing a kingdom of priests. And over the last two weeks, we talked about what a priest does, what he, uh, how he prepares the place of meeting between God and his people. And we get to steward the place where God meets with men and women and teens and the elderly. Humanity. That is both an incredible opportunity and an incredible responsibility. I mean, I know you came to church this morning and you didn't really sign up for the fact that when you leave here, you're accountable for stewarding the place where God wants to meet with men and women. But you are. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a priest. That means you get to steward the tabernacle, the tent, the meeting place where God meets with men. And I made a few strong statements over the last couple of weeks. They were really strong. And I did it on purpose because I wanted to get your attention and I wanted to shake you for a minute. But now that I've said it and I've gone through kingdom of priests, I want to circle back through and tie up some of those loose ends from the last couple of weeks. Is that all right if we do that? Okay. Um, We're going to tie them up today. The first strong statement that I preached over the last two weeks uh, was this. Worship is for God, not for you. Anyone remember that? Wasn't that offensive? Anyone slightly get offended? Just me? Okay. Well, God's working on me then. I said, worship is for God, not for you. And I was, I was pretty adamant. Um, and listen, if you're walking out today and you're like, oh man, I really liked worship. Remember I, I said before, that's awesome that you liked worship, but it's not your birthday. It's not about you. It's about God. Did God like the worship? Do you remember? I really hammered that point. Do you guys remember that? Good, good, good. Uh, the truth is, The truth is I hammered it because we probably make worship more about our personality and our preferences than we care to admit. So I wanted that to kind of marinate with you over the last couple of weeks. That's why I hit it hard. And that statement is generally true. It's just not universally true. So I want to talk about some exceptions today. When we go through adversity, when we go through suffering, there is a praise that wells up, that can well up from within us to proclaim the truth of God's character and that he's been faithful. He's done it before, he can do it again. Anyone ever been through a a challenging time and you dig down deep to praise God to be like, it almost becomes an act of faith. Your worship becomes an act of faith and you're like, God did it before, he's going to do it again. Anyone? Yeah, so, so that's awesome. But there's another kind of praise in the Bible. Scripture doesn't just talk about praise as an act of faith. There's a way to respond in Scripture. It's actually more common. And that's for us to kind of talk to God about our suffering, our problems, to be really candid and vulnerable and honest. Like, God, I'm hurting I lost this person that I loved and I, they died of cancer and I thought you were going to heal them. I was 
praying at the hospital every day, and I just, I knew you were going to heal him. God, I'm, where were you? But it doesn't really sound like a praise of faith. My relationships are struggling. My, my kids are insane, or my spouse, we're, we're, we've been disconnected for years, and, and you're crying out to God, and it, it's not really a cry of faith. It's a cry of, God, I, need, I just need you to rescue me. Have you ever had that kind of prayer? Have you ever had that kind of moment where you want, you want to praise in faith? You want to. And you know that you should. But the reality is you're hurting. And if you can make yourself do it, you would. But God, I just need you to know that life stinks right now. I don't see you. I don't sense you. And in Scripture, this kind of praise is called lamenting. Look at your neighbor and say, lamenting. There's a whole book called Lamentations. I don't recommend you read it if you're depressed already. More than one-third of the Psalms in Psalms is a lament, which makes the lament the most common kind of song in Israel's songbook. And you've been feeling guilty because you didn't have it within you to to praise him anyway. Maybe God's not calling you to praise him anyway. Maybe God is calling you to be honest and real and vulnerable and surrender your hurt to him. Maybe that's where God is taking you right now. By the way, lamenting is not a pity party. It allows our soul to be seen by heaven. It gives us the courage and the freedom to actually face our pain. Christians are notorious for pretending like we don't have pain. How are you? Oh, God's good. Well, you just had a car wreck two blocks back. Praise him. <laughs> Is God not strong enough to carry your grief? Is he not powerful enough to sit with your questions and unbelief? <laughs> I'm getting chills from this sermon, and I wrote it. I should have already had the chills, but I just sensed, I sensed that we're understanding something this morning. You see, church services, generally speaking, are not really good at creating space for lamenting. We want you to come in. I'm not talking about the exchange, so worship team, don't get offended, okay? Historically, in the history of churches. I think the exchange is actually really good at this, and I'll describe that in a moment, but historically we want you to, to come in, and we're going to start with an upbeat song to get you doing this and to clap, and then we're going to go into slow, but pull it back up. We can't leave you there too long. You might cry for the wrong reason. You might get out of control. You might forget that God is good. You might forget that you're victorious, and then we end on a fast song and everybody's high-fiving. And by the time church is over, we just want an explosion of joy from the platform to the audience. And you're just walking out like, man, that was good. The exchange is actually pretty good. We've been very intentional about creating moments of lamenting. Remember a Christmas Eve service where we lit candles for loved ones that were no longer with us. Mother's Day where we take a moment to just mourn with barren women who have been praying for children. That's lamenting. Like, 
that there is something sacred about the opportunity communally as a church to be okay with grief. Perhaps one of the most devastating effects of suffering is isolation. Whether you're suffering from sickness, oppression, or injustice, the sufferer often feels alone. And then you show up to a church where you're looking around. You're suffering, but you're looking around and everybody's like dancing and doing some Irish jig and saying how good God is. And you're like, what's wrong with me? You're not alone. I know that I said worship is for God, not for you. But there's a form of worship. It's called lamenting. The most prominent one in scripture It is for God, but oh, it's so for your healing. It's for you to connect with your creator. A lament is worship and it's for you. While it's true that worship is for God, he has allowed us to enter into worship as an avenue for our own healing. There's another form of worship uh, that happens on a Sunday that impacts you. So, you know, I was really hard about worship is for God, not for you. Well, there's another one. We find it in Ephesians 5, 19. It tells us to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. An aspect of our worship is actually us singing over one another. Think, think about that. Now, I probably will not approach you in the hallway especially not in the latrine, and start singing over you. But when we worship together, there is an element of exhorting one another, building one another, singing over each other. This is why coming to the house of the Lord is important. If really worship was just you and God and only about him, you could do all that at home. There would be no need for communal worship. But there is an element of communal worship where we get to sing over one another. I get to prophesy over over you. You get to sing hymns over me. Whether that's literal, metaphorical, you you decide. I I don't need everyone to sing over me. But you get the point. Worship isn't just for God. It's for community. So that you and I can encourage one another. So a better statement for number one, what, what did I say the first statement was initially? I said, worship is for God. It's not for you. The better statement, I want you to write this down, is worship is for God and it creates communal and individual health. So when we worship God, we can't help but be changed. We can't help but be transformed. So in a sense... It's for you. When you lament and when you grieve and when you worship through that avenue, you can't help but to start find healing in your heart. It's for you. There was a strong statement, another strong statement that I made that we've got to revisit. I said this, God doesn't want to use you. He wants to know you. Boy, that was a good statement. Wasn't it? Do you remember anyone? I got some amens. I said, God didn't create you so that he could use you. He created you so that he could know you and be known by you. And then I said, God used Pharaoh. He knew Moses. Somebody said, ooh, yeah. I said, 
God used Saul, but he knew David. And I heard, come on, pastor. God used Judas, but he knew Jesus. God doesn't want to use you. He wants to know you. Remember, I, I, was, I was passionate. And it is 100% true that religion teaches you to view yourself as a tool. It's easy to get wrapped up in performance. And, and when we view ourselves as a hammer or as a shovel, the tool breaks, we're discarded. If you view yourself as a tool, you are never good enough. Never. So it's true that religion wants to tell you that you're just a tool. And I worked, I worked really hard the last two weeks to convince you that your goal is not to be used by God. I know some of you were like, Pastor, I really appreciate that because God has not used me for years. And People keep asking me to serve, and now I can just tell them that my pastor said, I am not a tool to be used. God doesn't want to use you like a master uses a slave. However, there is a Hebrew word that is sometimes translated as worshiper that you need to be aware of. The word is abad. Abad. A-B-A-D. I actually have it tattooed on my, what is it, shoulder right here. Abide. It's the only tattoo I've got. And it means bond servant. Translates as worshiper. Bond servant. You see, in Deuteronomy 15, we learn that a slave, if they were released from a time of servitude, they could go on and they would get a part of the flock and a part of an inheritance from their master, that the master would bless them. But if the slave loved working for the master, he could choose in his freedom to stay there and be a bondservant. A bondservant is someone that doesn't obey the master because of legal obligation, but he's motivated to serve his master out of love. Religion produces slaves. Worship produces bond servants. Being a slave is overwhelming. Being a bond servant is energizing. Being a slave creates burnout. Bond service releases an empowering grace to keep pressing on. Slavery creates resentment. Bond service creates gratitude. Can you can you believe that we get to serve God like this? We, we get to serve the God of all creation in this way. Can you believe that? That's bond service. Versus, can you believe I had to show up at 7 a.m. to help get the place ready for all these people who are going to spill coffee on this side of the room? For those that are new, that is a long-standing joke in our church because sadly it's true. This room has more gravity and it pulls that coffee down. <laughs> I said that God doesn't want to use you. He wants to know you. That's, that's true. 
except in relationship, it should be expected that you are compelled to serve him. Paul said it is the love of Christ that constrains me. It is my love for him and his love for me that guides my way and walks me into the areas and the opportunities that God wants for me. It's interesting how many great men and patriarchs of the Bible identify themselves as bondservants. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says, For I, Paul, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul wanted to be known as a bondservant. I wonder if he had a tattoo. <laughs> Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what's interesting. Do you know who James was? He's the brother of Jesus. Now, I think if I was going to introduce myself, I'd start there. <laughs> My name is James. I am the ultimate supreme leader in Jerusalem. And by the way, my brother is Jesus. Here's what I've got to say to you. You know, but that's not what he said. Paul, James wanted to be known instead of the brother as a bondservant. That in itself is enough to prove that Jesus is God because how many of your kids would want to be the slave of their sibling? <laughs> Second Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jude 1.1, 1, 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. They were men who were set free from the yoke of the law, but they served Jesus anyway because they would just rather do nothing else. So yeah, it's true that God doesn't want to use you like a master uses a slave, but God wants to dance with you. That requires your engagement, your in involvement. That is bond service, and that, my friends, is good worship. So the better statement for number two, write this down, is worship flowing from relationship births Purpose through service. I like that. I serve not because I'm legally bound to, but I serve in my purpose because I'm in relationship with my creator. And when I worship him, I am compelled to serve him. As I wrap up today, I want to go through seven, did I write seven? Okay, I wasn't sure how many I put down. Uh, I want to go through seven Hebrew words for praise. Now, Hebrew and Greek in the Bible is way different than in English, okay? In English, we have a word that means so many different things, right? For example, Stephen, the word love. I love you. I love my wife. Two very different things. I love Chick-fil-A. Third different thing. Oh, geez. And that is just demonic. I love working out. 
And I love enchiladas, which is a problem. You see, love can be used with so many different things. And we have one word, love. So the English language is very different from the Greek and the Hebrew. Greek and Hebrew is very picturesque. It really describes and paints a picture for what the Bible is trying to say, what God is trying to say. So, for example, uh, one scripture using the Hebrew word gul, G-U-W-L, gul, is found in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It says, the Lord will rejoice over you with singing. It's the word rejoice, gul. Now, we just think a little patty cake, right? But when you look at the Hebrew of rejoice, it literally translates to spin around under the influence of a violent or fervent emotion. (laughs) The Lord will rejoice over you with singing. The picture here is not of this stuffy old man with a white beard sitting on his throne giving you some snaps. It is the God of heaven violently spinning over you, singing, so excited to spend time with you, to rejoice over you. Do you see, it makes a difference when you look at the Hebrew, totally different picture than what our English translates. So I want to go through seven ways that the Bible talks about praise, because I think it might help you be uh, more familiar with worship might make your worship between you and God a little less predictable. It it might help you try something new and step out of your comfort zone because we already know that worship is not about your personality. The Bible tells us how to worship. And as we learn these things, I'm just equipping you with the tools. The first one is Hillel. 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 H-A-L-L. A-L, Hillel. That means to shine forth, celebrate, rave, boast, make a show, be hilarious, or clamorously foolish. (laughs) I call this the Pedro praise. (laughs) Pedro, when he first got on the worship team, he would jump and lunge so far. He would be all the way back here. And in one single bound, he is up here. I don't know if you remember those days. He might still do it. I don't know. I tend to not watch because it scares me. Because I think his he lel is about to be he fell. Some of you wish that you had the courage to be foolish before the Lord. I know it. I've been there too. During this worship set, I've done a a few different things worshiping to the Lord, and then something inside of me, Michael, just said, take off running. I don't know if you've ever been in a church where you just take off running. You make the laps. I, I almost did it, Micah. I almost did it. I almost just took If you ever see me do it, just know it's been done before. No one's chasing me. 
foolish worship. My mom wrote a song decades ago saying, I'll be a fool for Jesus. Hillel is the most common word for praise, by the way. It's the most common word for praise and probably the most uncommon form of worship in the church today. <laughs> and and I, I, I understand that for some of you, just tapping your foot is like clamorously foolish. You're like, oh God, I'm tapping my toe. Uh, listen, Stan, no one can see it underneath your shoes. I know, but I feel like I'm wild, you know. <laughs> Hillel, H-A-L-E-L, is the root word from which we get hallelujah. The next Hebrew word for praise, shibach. Shibach. I can't really, can't really do that like a Jewish speaking person would do it. But shibach, it means to address in a loud tone. To commend, to glory, to triumph and praise. Be loud. Woo! Yeah! Anyone know a loud worshiper? Does your, does your spouse ever look over at you and say, Does your spouse ever look over at you and say, Cecile, calm down? Psalm 145, verse 4, uses this form of loud praise. And it says, One generation shall praise, shibach, shall address in a loud tone to triumph and praise your works to another and should declare your mighty acts. So if you're a loud worshiper, and I know we've got a few, if you're a loud worshiper here today, don't you dare apologize. Because that loud praise is flowing generationally. The next, Behra. B-A-R-A-K, Behra. It means to kneel, to congratulate or bless from a humble position. You ever seen someone kneeling on the ground? It's oftentimes a, a place of surrender, submission, reverence. Just lifting up God. Sometimes it's translated praise. Sometimes it's translated as bless. Psalm 103.1 is a perfect example of kneeling before the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Bless his holy name. Picture yourself just saying that to him while kneeling. Kneeling for the Lord. Bless my inmost being. Praise his holy name, Behra. The next one is found in Psalm 57, 7. It says, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Zimer. Zimer, Z-A-M-A-R, is translates as to touch upon the strings, to play upon a musical instrument. So all of our musicians up here, they're not just hitting notes so that the singers have something behind them. They are worshiping. The, this is their offering of worship to the Lord. They're zimer. 
Jordan? Where's Jordan? Who played drums? Where is Jordan? Hey. You remember that one time I was preaching and I looked for you in the crowd and I was like, hey, where's my son? And you walked out with uh, taco juice on your... You're playing the drums is your worship to the Lord. It's not to get a date. It's not to look cool. It is worship to the Lord. Thank you, Jordan. I didn't know you weren't in here. Don't clap. Don't clap for him. He was not in church. I'm just kidding. We have monitors back there. I'm totally just, just kidding. Zimir. Um, anyone play instruments in here? Anyone? Good. So anyone? Anyone that, yeah. Ray, come on, be proud. Be. Zimir. Yeah, I play piano. I play bass, guitar. Um, I play spoons. It is hard, but I don't really play. I was just joking. I play bass. I play piano. Um, Really where my zimer comes in is when I'm in my study at home. I've got this old piano. Getting a little choked up right now because me and Jesus, we have us a time. And I sit down and I, I just play hymns because I'm an old school player. I don't, I don't know all the new stuff. I could. I, oh, I could learn it. But I did. I'm just not invested in it. But I'll sit down and play me a How Great Thou Art in tears. We'll just streak. And I can't even sing and play at the same time. But when my fingers hit those notes, that zimer begins to flow. And it's worship to the Lord. Another one. T-O-W-D-A-H. I know these have been really confusing to pronounce. This one will give you some relief. It's toda. To da. <laughs> And it means to extend the hands specifically as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Can everyone just lift up your hands right now? Come on. Come on. Just do it. No one cares that you got sweaty armpits. No one cares. I know you're looking at mine right now. Nobody cares. It's not for you. God looks at me. He doesn't see sweat. He sees sweet. So come on. Just lift your hands. Look, you're getting in practice right now. This is toda. Toda. Say toda. You ever had to get your car towed before? How thankful were you that either they charged you lower or they didn't charge you or they showed up earlier? Whoo, I'm grateful for the tow-da. Tow-da. Thank you, Lord. That's in Psalm 42, 4, Psalm 50, 23, Jeremiah 33, verses 10 through 11. Another one is yada, yada, Y-A-D-A-H. And it means to extend the hands by an act of the will, usually as an expression of reverence. So I know that it sounds like toda and yada are both with your hands lifted, and that's true. 
that should tell us how important it is to God actually for the physical act of lifting your hand in worship, which is why it's not about personality. It's not about preference. God has given us Hebrew versions of lifting your hands for worship. It means something to God. Maybe we will never fully understand it until we get to heaven, but there is something about lifting our hands in Todah or Yadah that God wants to see. Now, the difference between the two, because they're both lifting your hands, right? Yadah is about reverence. It's about God being holy. I don't know, what song would you sing for lifting your hand? Holy. Hmm. What is it? Lord God Almighty. Reverence. Maybe even while you're kneeling. Another form of worship. Maybe it's not reference. Maybe it's just gratitude. Maybe you're just really thankful that the Lord has been there for you, that he's seen you through, that he's walking with you. So you lift your hand. It's the same action, but different heart posture. Christ is my firm foundation. The rock on which I stand. Everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad. I put my faith in Jesus. Come on, sing it with me. He's never let me down. Aren't you grateful? He won't. God is so big. We revere him, but he's so, so present. We're grateful for him. There's one final word that I want to introduce you to. It's Tehillah. Tehillah. Not dun 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 it means to sing a song from the heart. Psalm 34.1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. Tehillah is a special type of song. It's not just a song that you sing from your heart. It's like a song that someone else wrote. It's a hymn that you sing from your heart. No, it's a song that is birthed from your heart. You know, I said Hallmark is predictable. Has our praise become predictable? When we walk in and the music starts... Does the Lord already know how it's going to end? Well, of course.
course he does, he's God. But can we shake it up a bit? Maybe we could do some tehillah. Just some praise from the heart. Maybe the melody is awful. Maybe the words don't rhyme. But there is a song that Holy Spirit is birthing within your heart. And, and I just imagine in those moments where we all just sing that tehillah, that as John says in Revelation, it's like the sound of many waters. Will you stand with me?
Kayla was in Bible college a few several years back, a year of it in California, and she, she told me this story of this young man who was very like built, big, masculine. And they were talking about just just pouring your heart out in worship. And he gets on stage and he shows up with two strings of toilet paper. And uh, he says to the room, guys, I've, I'm really embarrassed and I've never done this before, but the Lord told me to get two strings of toilet paper and just dance before him. And as he did, the presence and the power of, the God, of God filled the room. Not, not because these are beautiful flags. They are useful. But because it flowed out of a heart of obedience. So we're asking you to show up Wednesday night, 7 p.m. for a night of worship. You know, if you do this, I don't care. You bring toilet paper, borrow ours. But what I care about is just come ready to worship God in a new way. If you need to practice your kneeling because, you know, you're over 45 like me, then do it. If you need to get it home, and I don't know, these teens do this. I don't even know how y'all do that. I'm... It, if you just need to get a little bit of practice stuff and just do it because we're going to show up and, and I'm telling you Wednesday night worship is going to be incredible because we're showing up ready to worship a God who is alive amen father we come before you today I thank you so much for our time together we know that you inhabit the praises of your people and God we've been empowered with so many different ways to praise you from, from kneeling to being, to being loud, to being clamorously foolish, to dancing around, to running, clapping, singing, lifting our hands. God, let us do it all for the glory of you. In Jesus' name, go with us this week. God, bring us back on Wednesday, 7 p.m. to lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday, 7 p.m. Now that you've been to church, go be the church.